said, Happy New Year. Happy 2018. Yeah, happy random arbitrary date decided by the Romans some many centuries ago. Actually, in fact, decidedly yeah. not decided by the Romans since we ditched, no, I was their, say. we ditched their calendar. Take that, you Romans. And went, went all Gregorian on, on their behind That was Brexit part one. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that the, the Gregorian calendar was Nigel Farage's ancestors doing? Probably was. Let's dig into it. Uh, so, uh, big news, not not Brexit, big news. You've, you've ditched Twitter. What's going on? Oh, it's so good. I can't tell you how good it feels to be free. Like, for a long time, I had to have a Twitter account. I started it back in the days when social media was a fun, enjoyable distraction from life. And, you know, it was a little, quite a niche thing. And generally speaking, it was a fairly small community and the dialogue was quite positive and it was a very enjoyable experience. Started it to mostly to communicate with Rankcast listeners in the first place. Um, but then when I got the jobs doing the football writing, I, I was contractually obliged to maintain that Twitter account and use it to tweet out articles and stuff. That was part of my deal um, with both Umaxit and Bleacher Report. And now that none of those deals are in place, I don't have to have a Twitter account anymore. And it's so nice for all kinds of reasons. Like uh, one day on the show, I might list them all, but today's not that day. But mostly it's just nice not to be regularly insulted. I haven't been insulted for a week. No one's, apart from you, Ed, no one has insulted me in the last week. Well, uh, I'll uh, aggregate all the insults. I'll put out a call for insults. Uh, Tag it, (laughs) Paul. And uh, and we'll we'll just aggregate them all together, and I can read them out on the show. I'll Most never creative see it. one wins a Rankcast mug. I'll never see it, and I've got the mugs, and I'm not sending one to someone who insults me. So, no, no deal. Anyway, uh, sad. Well, you're going you're gonna to have to delete the rest of your social media, Facebook, and uh, this whole podcast bollocks. Ah, no, we'll keep we'll keep doing the podcast. I reckon. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Well, look, um, talking about uh, another kind of insult, an insult to football, shall we round up United versus Bristol, Leicester, Burnley and Southampton? So the day that, that was trash. The day that I um, broke up for Christmas, I got really ill and I've only, that's why there's been no podcast. I've only been better really in the last two days. So most of the Christmas football is a complete haze to me. I don't remember any of it, and I hardly watched any of it. So, Ed, uh, I remember that Juan Mata scored some goals. We somehow lost to Bristol City. I thought I was hallucinating, but apparently that really happened. Um, And then Jesse Lingard is the best player in the world now. This is what's changed since we last spoke. Messi Lingard. Yeah. Yeah. Lionel Jesse. Let's, uh, oh, well, I'll summarise each game in one line then for you. Yeah. Uh, Bristol was a case of um, a lack of motivation. Should we right. put it like that? Um, right. Which the manager blamed on the players. Uh, and I kind of wondered whether the manager had anything in his job description about motivating the players. Apparently he doesn't. Um, uh, Leicester 2, United 2. So United pretty dominant and very, very sloppy. Um, mm. Really should have won given that uh, Leicester were down to 10 men. I remember the a, last 10 minutes, 10 minutes of that game being Quite a long time, yeah. The um, unfortunately, United history. just retrenched and the uh, equaliser became a little bit inevitable, um, as we tend to do. But there was, uh, that, there was a moment just before the end of that I don't want to break these games down in detail, but I think it's worth pointing out. There's a moment right at the end of that game where Rashford had the ball and he was going to take it into the corner and delayed making a pass 
infield to someone I can't remember who. No, he tried to play through ball to Lukaku. Yeah, and it, that was just, and he looked like he was so caught in two minds. And that is one of the worst moments of football I can remember because I just remember thinking, do one or the other. You know, play the. He, he kind of delayed, waited too long to play the through ball. I mean, you know, it's not all his fault. There was a lot of structural problem there, but that was sure. Such but a actually, terrible it was decision. a very good goal scoring opportunity. So I don't blame him for trying the through ball. He, d- he needed to make his decision quicker. And of course, I, you know, I just. I, I wonder with stuff like that, and I and don't mean to hark on about the manager. I do wonder whether the the kind of um, the nature of Mourinho's coaching puts a second doubt into most players' minds. You know, they, he must have thought for a second, "Oh, I really should take it into the corner," but it's a goal-scoring opportunity, you know. Mm. And uh, of course, Mourinho called him out on it afterwards, and um, uh, you know, uh, said there was poor decision making, and I'm quite sure that was one of them he was talking about. Should have uh, run it into the corner, so run down the clock. Anyway, so that was that was two all and two all against uh, Burnley as well. Brilliant free kick from Wamata in that game. Uh, brilliant free kick uh, from one matter at Leicester game. Brilliant free kick from Stephen DeFore in the Burnley game. No, am I talking the right game? Maybe I think so. Still, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, and uh, and Jesse Lingard uh, there to save the day for United with an injury time equaliser. But the first Jesse Lingard goal, I think, I've I, I can't decide between that and the uh, goal against Everton for my favourite Lingard goal of the season. But that behind the back flick from Lingard for the first goal was absolutely sweet as a nut. Uh, he's, uh, he only scores bangers. That's, uh... <laughs> it's just pure worldies. And I think I looked it up yesterday and he scored like 15 goals ever for Man United. And I'm pretty sure 10 of them have been worldies. Uh, amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's had a great month. Uh, I'm sure the purple patch, as it is, won't continue forever. But, uh, you know, he's going to... He's He should score... F- yeah, between 15 and 20 goals this season. Um, and that's a, an excellent return and, and a little surprising, I think, given he he was left out of the team for the first eight games of the season. But uh, he's progressed lots. Um, Mourinho talked about him um, uh, having matured and uh, getting into the right positions. And I, I think one of the things that's really made a difference is he's making those third-man runs. So he's he's been playing at 10, but he's not a 10. You know, he's not controlling the... The play for United, he's he's just making those deep runs. He's sort of making the runs that Frank Lampard used to make uh, when he wasn't too busy tucking into a, a bacon butty. One of the fittest men in history. Is that who you're talking about? Are you talking about a man who maintained an elite athletic status for until his late 30s? Is that who you're talking about there? Um, yeah, while eating uh, large no. amounts of fat and lard. This is ridiculous. God, that's the worst trope. <laughs> like, that isn't 2011 banter. That's 2002 banter there, Ed. 2001, even. It's, like, that's my sweet spot. I mean, Twitter wasn't <laughs> um, around. But, yeah, that you know, top bants would have been had. Um, um, anyway, um, so, yeah, he's making those kind of runs, and that's that's why he's scoring a lot of goals. And uh, he, he loves banging one in the top corner from 30 yeah, was, yards out. I was going to say, like, Mourinho said he's getting in good in the right positions. Like, well, I mean... Anywhere's the right position for Jesse Lingard. Just give him the ball and some sort of sight at goal uh, and he'll score. Yeah. Um, so, United versus Southampton. I just, um, I, this one, I was in a, f- like, I didn't, I, I didn't watch the Burnley game because I was really ill and I didn't want to stream the game, wasn't on telly. Southampton game was on telly. I definitely know that I watched it, but I can't tell you a single thing about it. Well, it wasn't a great game of football, obviously, duh. I mean, United had a few chances. Um, uh, Ashley Young from 
not very many yards out, uh, missed with a header. Uh, when Massa had a chance, Henrik Mkhitaryan had a chance. Oh, um, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Do we want to talk about Mkhitaryan? Oh. Or we praise Lingard. Uh, Mkhitaryan, oh. he's suddenly become a pub footballer. I mean, look at a place in one of these non-league sides that's uh, made it into the FA Cup. Has anyone had a worse month? than Mkhitaryan form-wise. No, they haven't, have they? He's been, like, when he was taken off at half-time against Derby, like, taken off at half-time against the championship side, that that is a bit of an indictment. He's got to go, surely. Like, Mourinho's not going to get anything out of him, clearly. He's just got to go. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems that that's the decision that's been made. I mean, he's played a few games recently, and I... I once he uh, came back from his exile, but it's it's been pretty dreadful. Um, we didn't talk about Bristol. Let's not talk about Bristol because that was. <laughs> yeah, we did. I oh, sorry, I mentioned you, it. You uh, said my, there was my a lack bad, of yeah. motivation. I remember that Bristol's l- scored a late goal and it was bad. That's what I remember about that game. Yeah, yeah, it's good if you uh, if you like Bristol. Yeah, or if you're a neutral. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Southampton, uh, pretty awful. Um, Lukaku what, what? had a, a not great game in that one, not pulled right. off. Um, and uh, Mkhitaryan had a not great game in that one. Oh, isn't that the one where well. Lukaku got knocked out? And it was oh, really yeah, quite no, no, frightening. Thinking, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, um, he got injured and Rashford came on. Yeah, that was Sorry, scary. That was one. like he wasn't moving at all. It was horrible. Uh, yeah, minor concussion, and he's he's back now. Yep. But um, yeah, definitely scaring uh, the right thing to get him off, and the right thing to give him a break. And uh, anyway, so that was whole load of guff. Bristol, Leicester, Burnley, Southampton, and the questions were starting to be asked about Mourinho again, especially given that he's uh, his rather um, Trumpian reaction to any criticism is to. Or he's fire it back or blame someone else. So he's he's blamed the players and fans, the referees uh, and the opposition. And now Antonio Conte, apparently, uh, for all his ills. Oh, and the board for not spending enough money. Uh, it's definitely never, ever Mourinho's fault, of course. Let's make this clear. I mean, um, I, I think, like, some of it is not Mourinho's fault. I'm not sure I would necessarily blame Mourinho for Rashford not taking the ball into the corner in that in that game. Like, it's easy to say, like, to put some of the decision-making on the manager, but players have to take some share of responsibility for all oh, this, sure. surely. Yeah, it's but not it's like... definitely not binary, right? And no, Mourinho sees it as binary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, but and, it's and not that's, binary that's the other way. That's line, really, especially the one about money, uh, because he's actually, uh, he's been well furnished with players. And um, uh, I, I guess, you know, he wanted more and more and more and more. But uh, this comes to the structural problem at the club. If the club is going to hire and fire managers, which appears to be the case now, um, then uh, and uh, not have any kind of continuity or a director of football in place to provide that continuity, then we're going to be buying teams. Um, every new manager that comes in will be going, this is not my team. I want to buy 15 players. It's a big problem. Um, the the little few little positives from that period, form of Lingard. I think the form of Juan Mata as well. I think I think it's been noticeable that Mata's hit a bit of a purple patch. I mean, there were the two goals against Leicester, but I think against was it against Everton? I thought he was just really bright and lively and and knitting things together very nicely in a way that has been like he's just looked a bit flat recently you now it's been a noticeable he's had a spring in his step I think um 
and uh, the re-emergence of Luke Shaw um, and the kind of yeah. consistent re-emergence of Luke Shaw. Not not here today, gone tomorrow, but he's he's had a lot of football over the last few weeks, hasn't he? He has, yeah, which is a surprise because, uh, you know, he's been fit for a, quite a long time and uh, a lot of stories about how hard he's worked at this, which wasn't the case in the past, was it, with Luke mm. Shaw? Um, and, uh, and he, you know, he seems like he's made a real effort. I thought he's been playing well. He's one of the, the bright spots out of a what was a dark period until the last couple of games. Um, I, I'm wanting to make a couple of points about that, you know, because there's a lot of um, a lot of criticism um, about Mourinho, about the team, about the players, uh, and, um, you know, much of it fair, I thought, um, until the Everton game on, on New Year's Day. And, uh, I, you know, I looked at some of the data because I was like, hmm, you know, because the standard pushback was, well, look, look at the progress. Look at where United are, second in the table, through the knockout stages um, in the Champions League um, and uh, and the FA Cup to come. You know, lots, lots of great things to look at. And I, I have to say I was absolutely shocked by looking at the data um, about where United are and kind of worried because if the data plays out as you'd expect it to, then United are not going to have a good second half of the season. So so basically, um, we're running about nine points ahead of where we should be based on expected goals, expected goals against, amount of chances we create, amount of shots we have, um, uh, shots against, chance against, expected goals against, um, and none of them play well to United. Uh, some of them you could say, well, we've got an absolute world-class goalkeeper in play, which is mm-hmm. true with the expected goals against. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is David De Gea, basically. Um, and uh, he's you know he's probably saved us 10 points this season. Um, but we don't take that many shots. Um, uh, seventh in the table for the amount of shots taken. That's a very good correlation to the amount of goals. Um, we have scored more goals, and it's at 45, third best in the league. Quite a lot more goals than we really should have based on uh, the models, which, you know, and I'm not um, religious with the models, but it's an indicator and a good good debating point. Um, uh, conceded way less goals than we should have, and that's that's a De Gea thing. Concede a hell of a lot of chances or shots. Um, and, um, you know, that's the really worrying one because it actually means there's a bit of a structural problem. This is not just bad defending. This is bad team defending when you concede that many shots. And and a lot of it has come in the last month or so, and it's clear that um, uh, Matic is, you know, tiring uh, and needed a break and hadn't got a break um, and was probably being given more praise than his performances were actually due as a result. So anyway, long ramble. None of the data looks very good for United. I think we might be getting more points than we actually deserve based on all of that. And you kind of hope that changes around and start getting points on, you know, on the basis of good performances. I'd be really interested to see that data broken down forensically to see which bits of the season, which specific games are the real kind of swings. Because like, obviously the three points we got against Arsenal, that's responsible for for you know a substantial um mismatch in xg but i don't remember too many games where it felt like united had really nicked a result it's almost like um and and also i'd like to look at the kind of pattern of play and times times in games that this has happened and when it's been times we've been dominating and and sitting back too much and also how much uh pogba being out affected all this and whether that whether there's a difference with him in the 
the team or not. I mean, sure, I, I think... sure. It's probably from an attacking perspective. Yeah, I mean, um, you'd have to track it all game by game. But um, so you know, United is, as I said, seventh, um, seventh best defensive record in terms of shots allowed. That's worrying. Nineteenth best in terms of number of tackles. This is a team that doesn't make tackles. Right, mm. only Bournemouth and Bournemouth are a bunch of tippy tappy, tippy tappy little men who never want to make a tackle because it'd break them in two. Right, um, United don't make any tackles, which is a problem. The other where big are problem, like, where, don't, where we are... don't make any interceptions either, right? Which is one of the reasons I'm saying I think Juan Matic, Juan Matic, <laughs> <laughs> he's a brand new player. With <laughs> sign him, sign him up. Um, uh, Matic is getting perhaps more praise. Um, then he might be due in terms well, of that side of things. You know? I mean, I, I think it's really important to say that Matic has been basically totally garbage for two months, basically. I mean, it's a slight overstatement, but only really a slight one. I don't think it's because he's suddenly become a bad player. I think it's because he's played every minute of every game and it's been abundantly clear. I mean, you don't have to be Raymond Verheyen to think that Nemanja Matic has needed a break recently. Um, but Mourinho clearly doesn't trust his alternative options. Yeah. And, and, but you know, I, I, and, and Matic has had some better performances, like kind of more reasonable performances recently, but there was a really serious noticeable dip in his performances. He had an excellent start to the season, obviously. Um, and, and you know, the whole midfield issue is a struggle, which kind of brings us, and you talked about the structural makeup of the team and, and you know, the no interceptions thing, I'm sure has got so much to do with the fact that as soon as the opposition have the ball, United sit in this kind of 2007 inter block, like yeah. over and over again, and not 2007 into 2010 into, but you know, it's just, it's so noticeable that United defend from the halfway line most of the time. Like Jesse Lingard's running around chasing defenders when they've got the ball, but otherwise there's no hunting in packs in this team, is there? No, there definitely isn't. And and it's a, it's a real problem, you know. So another way of looking at it is if you aggregate all this stuff up, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal basically have better structural data, um, the stuff that should build up into uh, goals scored, goals against and points. Yeah, and, United, right? And that, and, and that those opening few games of the season then become really critical because then you've got to say, right, if United are going to finish second because I'm not going to catch City this season, some of that has to change, right? It's, the performances have to get significantly better, although you would say you would expect the results to drop off. It's worth saying, I think, that Mourinho has done something about this structural problem with the United's attack in the last two games. Well, particularly against Everton. I, I need to look up the Derby game to make sure that was the case there too. But um, against Everton, he very clearly played a 4-3-3. Um, and he's hardly done that this season. But it was very noticeable. And who scored, in fact, have the game against Derby as a 4-1-4-1? Um, but the kind of 4-2-3-1 that he has been playing with Pogba and Matic as a double pivot, he's definitely moved that around. And and it was noticeable. Against Everton, the first half was really lacklustre and they all looked like they just had too much football in their legs. But from the second half against um, Everton, they, they really picked... Oh yeah, pick themselves well, up, and, and I tell you who really picked themselves up was Paul Pogba. You yeah, know? And he's yeah, yeah. basically playing off the left in a three, which is the position he occupied 
for for a long time for for Juve, and he was outstanding. Yeah, managed to run the game from that part of the pitch, but it also gave him a, a little bit of license to to really get forward as well, knowing that he definitely had cover anyway. Yeah, um, and I thought he was, he was absolutely brilliant, and obviously got the two assists and and uh, you know a couple of nice goals there for for Lingard and Martial. Uh, Martial scoring a, a what will now be called as uh, called a Lingard, a <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and and just United deserved a victory on the basis of the second half. Definitely not on the basis of the first half because it was pretty horrid. But um, you know, completely dominant in the second half and, and got the got the goals as a result of that. The, the underlying, the funny thing is, like having droned on about data for a while, the underlying data isn't that favourable to United in in the Everton game, but definitely took the chances very well. Yeah, and and the you know sixty percent of the possession, and you know considering we had sixty percent of the possession, five interceptions made is not that bad in that game, is it? Um, the let's talk about the goals. Uh, two assists for Paul Pogba. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of funny when someone scores a long range shot to give someone an assist, and certainly in the case of the Lingard goal, it, it's it's very it's a technicality that assist. But for the Martial goal, Pogba did absolutely brilliantly to pick out Martial where he did. But the you know, um is Anthony Martial the best centre forward at United? Like is isn't this a yeah. conversation worth having? <laughs> I think he probably is. I mean yeah. I mean I mean look, we we've got a lot of different forwards. Um Mar- Martial who is very comfortable playing at left or coming in off the left or playing up front. And I, I think he's a, a, all the tools to be a great number nine. Yeah. You know, he can run the channels. He can come deep. Um, uh, he's, a, you know, a very composed finisher. Got Rashford, who's pretty comfortable in, in all forward positions. I, I mean, I don't think covering his left back is exactly what he wants to do, but he'll do it. Um, uh, and uh, comfortable comfortable with the ball in front of him mainly, but he's very, very comfortable coming deep. And, and Lukaku, who, despite his you know, brick shithouse build, is basically a fox in the box. Um, and, uh, you know, so in terms of all round, I, I think Martial probably is the best. And United looked so fluent in the second half of that game. United's attack looked so fluent in the second half of that game. And um, I just thought Marcel was was wonderful in that game. And it was lovely to see him at centre-forward, albeit it will only ever happen when Lukaku's unavailable through injury. Um, and then, yeah, we have to talk about that Lingard goal because I think that is the best of all the amazing Jesse Lingard wonder goals. Like, the the way it curls away from him into the top. I mean, it might be the most unstoppable shot that's ever been hit. Like no, no goalkeeper alive could have stopped it. It was absolutely, even by Jesse Lingard's incredible standards, absolutely incredible hit. Yeah. Are we, are we talking about Everton goal or Derby goal? Uh, I was talking about the Everton one. Uh, okay. Cause I was going to say that... it's an absolute banger against Derby as well. <laughs> he just can't stop. He's just unstoppable. But just, you know, that, that that Martial goal was so nice and then it was the second best goal in the game. But I, 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 I'm i I'm struggling to remember the difference between the two Lingard goals, but I, I think the one against Everton was the one I liked best. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, so look, that was, it was badly needed, got to say. And uh, yeah. after the performances uh, in the four games that came before that, it wasn't exactly expected. You know, Everton no. obviously well down the table. They haven't really got an Allardyce bump. Um, and, and also, of of all the things that Allardyce is good at, 
beating Man United or Mourinho is not one of them. Like he's terrible at that. And and oh, we didn't mention this. It's worth pointing out for long-time Ralph's Carlos listeners how enjoyable it was that Wayne Rooney gave the ball away and we scored from a counter-attack. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it looked very familiar, didn't it? It certainly did. Um, yeah, so look, it was it was desperately needed, both the performance in the second half and uh, and the result. Uh, and otherwise, you know, you know, you just really do wonder what happens to morale and confidence if if United had lost that one because it was definitely fifty fifty at half time, and start slipping to nearly twenty points behind City. And they really showed their class actually in the second half of that game because the the funny thing about this United side is there is an enormous amount of talent in it. I mean, there there are there are problem positions, but if you look at talent. De Gea is an extreme talent. I mean, ridiculous level of extreme talent that is being applied to. So, you know, he's in a kind of category of his own. I think you could probably put Pogba just below that in terms of level of applying his talent. Um, Martial is, is somewhere up in that range too. But you've got players like Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford, Juan Mata, um, Lukaku, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Matic. Like, these are these are fine, fine players um and so somewhere somewhere in there should be a team that can regularly do what they did in the second half against Everton yes but they don't and um and we've had 18 months in Mourinho and they still don't no it's uh, a, the answer it's a apparently is to buy more players <laughs> um uh you know you talked about expected goal, goals against um we should point out the key expected goals against statistics, which is that Eric Bay destroys expected goals against. He does. Played by, played by in the side, there are no expected goals against United. Well, not basically. quite, but he's, he's worth nearly half an expected goal, um, and uh, which is a bit of a freak, got to say. But, uh, also, you know, I, th- I think it will tell you something, but it, it, feels a, it feels like a real outlier, that one. But, um, yes, United are better with him in the team. Definitely. Um, so yeah, Everton. Then on to the FA Cup. Yeah, uh, we all we all like the FA Cup. Yeah, not on a Friday it. night though. That's weird. It wasn't Why? even on telly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it, it's fine if it's on telly, but the fact that it was on Friday night and not on telly was very strange. I'd love to know a little bit about how that came to be. Maybe it was moved to Friday night because it was assumed it would be on telly, and then. The broadcasters were like, no, we're only giving you 43 games in a row on telly. You're not having a 44th. Yeah. Um, This was a bit frustrating for a while, wasn't it? And, um, well, for a very long while, it was pretty frustrating. I mean, it's not like United were never not in control. No. Derby, Derby, um, for a championship side, I thought they, um, they performed well enough. They defended well, didn't they? They defended in numbers and yeah. And Tom Lawrence well kept getting forwards. Um, uh, Huddleston and Thorne in the in the centre of midfield were you know pretty low block. Um, the back four defended pretty well, um, and you know so they they did all right. They did all right. My favourite statistical note from this game is that United succeeded with twenty dribbles, which is that is an enjoyably ridiculously high number of dribbles in a game uh, to be successful. Then let's talk about the goal <laughs> because uh, I mean Lingard had a chance um, 
a little bit before this as well. You know, he kept getting into positions in in that sort of just outside the D. Um, but uh, this, I, I thought it might have taken a deflection at first, the way the ball spins. But, you know, I've seen enough replays, it doesn't take a deflection. He hits this as clean as anything. It's just, he, you just don't score from there. I'm sure the expected goal on that is like 0.0. Four or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, you know you, you don't score from those positions unless you're Jesse Lingard, in which case that's like every other week. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Rashford hit the post twice. Um, gave a decent account of himself up front, I thought, but you can see that form-wise, Martial is obviously on a different planet to Rashford. Yeah, at the moment. Rashford feels like he's lacking in confidence. He gets a game up front when he's had a whole bunch on the left, and his confidence has been shot. Yeah. Is is my feeling. And I think the problem is that it's actually it's hindering his development. Um it's it's a big look, he's a he's a very, very talented player. He's definitely talented enough to score twenty five goals a season. Um and uh, and all the stuff that we love about him, his directness, beating players, um uh from sort of any forward position could be damaged significantly by him having to cover his left and he's an honest player right and, and, and like um it's it's not quite the right analogy with Wayne Rooney because they're different players but did Wayne Rooney being an honest team player playing on the left for quite a few years under Ferguson and Moyes and Van Hal and Mourinho um and covering his left back did that help or hinder him in terms of his career development because I don't think it helped him and uh, I think you get to the point where, yeah, okay, right, you learn a bit more about the game. Uh, but where does Rashford want to play? He wants to, he wants to play up front. Uh, and right now, I think playing on the left is not helping him. Uh, a little mention for the fact that this game saw him play on the right as well because um, Mourinho decided that Martial and Rashford are allowed on the pitch at the same time. It's rare, but it's a beautiful thing. And and the the, the second half had a good a good long chunk where there was a front three of Rashford, Martial and Lukaku, because Lukaku yeah. came on for Mkhitaryan at half-time. I, I think the, the interesting thing is, um, not in this game, but in the Everton game, United played the front three with Juan Mata in the side, right? And yeah, I think our assumption was that it was... The 4-3-3 felt like the right balance for the players we've got especially to get the best out of Pogba, but also some of our forwards as well, because we don't really have any wide players. Um, but it would be matter that loses out. Maybe maybe that proved us wrong. Yeah, it's interesting as well, because there's a sort of interesting tactical balance that happens, because with Pogba playing on the left of the three, and Matic and Herrera are essentially covering for him. Although I thought it was noticeable that Herrera had a little bit more about him in these last two games. There, there, there was one very frustrating moment where he shot instead of passed, slipped it through to Mata against Derby, I think it was. Um, no, can it have been? Did Mata even play against? Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, there was that one moment. But generally speaking, I thought he was a bit more progressive with his passing and stuff, which was nice to see. But anyway, you've got this kind of balance where the left is full of, you know, if you've got Martial or Rashford on the left and Pogba on that side, there's a lot of kind of fluidity and movement there. But you kind of have this big gap on the right um, in terms of like not just not the right wing, but the the right side of a kind of number 10 role, which which matter always comes into, obviously. So the, the problem is, of course, that you 
you don't have width on the right, but you do have a great deal of kind of intricacy um, across the width behind the width of the box behind the box. A lot of different ways of getting the ball into the box, which I th- I think suits certainly suits Lukaku. Um, I, I think it's that four three three with Mata on the right is an interesting little tactical. A tactical option yeah. and it, it definitely Actually, if works. you look at his heat map, he's all over the pitch. You know, he's clearly starting from the right, but he's trying to get involved. It's 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 complicated because it's not obviously balanced. But um, for me, it's the best formation for United. It's the uh, Mourinho is pretty reluctant to play it. I, I, I'm going to guess. I haven't looked at this, but I'm going to say he's played that fewer times than he's played four two three one for sure. And oh yeah, and, and three five two or variants of as well. Um, but it feels like the right balance for United, especially with Shaw now fit. Yes. You know, fit and playing well, um, he's uh, he's a great attacking presence down the left. And if you had a, a right-sided fullback that had that, because, you know, I mean, I, I some people would say that Valencia is that, but Valencia's use of the ball in the final third is so insanely frustrating that I kind of mm. can't give him that. And he's really. not having the season this season that he had last season. No, uh, let's true. be honest about that. I mean, I'm sure they'll look to buy a, a right back in the in the summer. Probably, if if Shaw's fit, more important than buying left back. You know, yeah, and at I this agree. point, is it worth spunking fifty million on Danny Rose, for example, um, and ditching Luke Shaw? And you know, one one of the other sort of stories that emerged was a frustration that Mourinho wanted to do that, and the uh, the hierarchy is saying, no, nope, we'll we're prepared to spend on a young left back, but. Um, not uh, not as someone in his late twenties uh, mm, for that kind of money may or may not be true. Yeah, interesting to know whether that is true. So in the end, uh, Lukaku capped it off with a goal, which was really nice because I he did really like fluff it, didn't he? <laughs> well, you said I said that to you, and you said, "Well, I think Marcel passed it behind him a bit." He did. So he, he did. It was it wasn't uh, the perfect pass. I mean, good good on Marcel for making the pass. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, not into his run. Um, but lovely to see Lukaku scoring, and and you know, I'm a big fan. Basically, I think he's got uh, some of the criticism he's received is is fair enough, but I think a good deal of it is kind of undue criticism. And given that you know this is the price of a slightly above average centre back now, you cannot use Lukaku's price tag against him anymore. Like, uh, what did Coutinho go for? Two Lukaku's, seventy one Michu's. You know, it's it's this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean. Um... Uh, Virgil van Dijk is obviously a massive outlier in terms of the the price. If you're talking about slightly above average uh, centre backs, uh, yep. Liverpool fans won't like that one. But uh, actually, it's it's hard uh, it's hard assessing defenders with data. He doesn't do a lot of defending. I mean, so says the data. The the, the thing is, like, he's a good player. With friend of the show, um, Jim Barca, Jim has been telling us for years that United should sign Virgil van Dijk when he, back when he played at Celtic. Um, no, I've, I've, I follow Barca Jim on Twitter, which obviously you don't. Not anymore. Um, and uh, uh, 95% of his tweets are about his diet. And uh, I, I think the guy's probably going insane uh, <laughs> on account of eating fried everything. <laughs> but listen, um, the, the van Dijk deal is completely bizarre it's very it really reminds me of the Andy Carroll deal where Andy Carroll was 35 million but but it was a non-absolute figure it was just 15 million less than they got for Torres this feels like we're just going to give Southampton half of what we get for Coutinho that's the deal and and 
I know this is the most cliched and obvious point in all of football punditry, right? And all of kind of football discussion. But the Liverpool-Southampton thing has got to the point where it's really weird. Like, it's just <laughs> really, like, slightly unsettling. What What are they doing? Why don't... They, they know other clubs exist, right? I, I think there's some kind of back-channel agreement, don't you? There must be something, or certainly. I mean, obviously, they're... I mean, basic, basically, it's a it's a second club. You know, they're just it, they're probably just after you've after you've uh, looked at you know follow the money, right? It's the wire thing. Follow the yeah. money, you're going to find. Ultimately, it's owned by one person in like Grand Cayman or something like that, uh, and uh, and they're basically the same, and they're just you know moving paper around. These aren't real fees. <laughs> Allegedly, it's a joke. I'm kidding, clearly. Yeah, obviously. All football teams are essentially owned by the same person. Is that what you're saying? The whole thing's an elaborate Mm. practical joke. Anyway. Um, Should we do some Twitter questions? Do you want to take some Twitter questions, Ed? All right, let's take some Twitter questions. I'm going to do this because you're not on Twitter anymore, you weirdo. It's done. You weirdo. Strange. You should... You should cancel Facebook. Actually, uh, Anonymous uh, did a, a video this week, um, like a few clips of people going, Facebook's the most dangerous thing on the planet. I haven't used it for years and years. You, you commented. It will warp you, your mind. No, you commented on a photo of the two of us when we were children just the other day. I did. I did. It still pings me. I ignore it most of the time. Uh, anyway, uh, Mary C-U-N-T says, uh, Jose versus Conte. What are your thoughts on the war of words? Oh, it's just stupid, isn't it? I mean, everyone gets very excited when your team's manager says a barb at another team's manager. But, you know, we did some Patreon bonus content the other week about um, kind of Mourinho's big rivalries versus Ferguson's big rivalries. And Ferguson said some stuff in his time. But generally speaking, there was a slightly more collegial, respectful tone most of the time from Ferguson. The kind of... The match-fixing thing is, like, it's so... So if anyone hasn't seen this, it's unlikely that anyone hasn't seen this. Conte kind of had a bit of a dig at Mourinho, but not that serious, really. And then Mourinho in a press conference was asked about it, and he said, well, say what he likes about me, but what I can tell you for sure is I will never be suspended for (laughs) match-fixing. It's like... Conte was acquitted <laughs> of match fixing. It's worth saying at this point as well. Uh, well, um, yes, of match fixing, but he uh, he served a four month ban for not uh, mentioning that he was approached about match fixing. Right, right, right. Um, but in Italy, yeah, I, I does thought your accent really there was count? a bit funny. He basically sounded like Eric Cantona if he'd spend spent four or five years in Portugal. Um. Uh, Mourinho, what what did Conte call him? A little man and fake, which is, is the word du jour, isn't it? You know, <laughs> what, what, what do you think fake Moose's reaction to that will be? <laughs> fake Moose, good. Um, uh, I just wanted to stop because, you know, it, I I think Mourinho is at his best when he's focused. I really do. I, I think he's at his best when he's not having these kind of ridiculous fights with people because he does tend to start them when he wants to say, look, look, shiny thing over there. I, yeah. It was weird because it happened after a win, which that that is unusual. You know, you'd expect that he would have saved that for if we draw against Stoke. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I, I actually, he just doesn't look very happy to me. Doesn't look like he's enjoying it at all. And 
Um, Daniel Taylor in the Guardian wrote uh, in his column a couple of weeks ago about how Mourinho is not the same Mourinho he was 10 years ago. But he, he uh, much, just, much more tetchy. He has not looked... You know, it's funny because there was, you know, the, the something one thing is so played out. But when he came back to Chelsea, he was asked, you know, are you still the special one or something? And he said, I'm the happy one, which is ironic because he has not looked happy since he left into Milan, basically. That was the last time he looked happy. And... Um, he, he's looked happy at United about three times yeah, ever yeah. in It's, it's a real shame, actually, because I think people would, you know, it would help. There's a bit of cult of Mourinho um, with Mourinho. Um, and, uh, I mean, there was a cult of Moyes for a while. Honestly, there's a whole bunch of people still liked him. Odd. Uh, and, and Van Gaal got a lot of defence. And I guess that's a good thing about the United support base. You know, especially um, people who go to a lot of matches are... are you know, very supportive of the manager. So there's a big faction supporting Mourinho. I think he's still got a lot of questions. Definitely not Mourinho out. I, there is no agenda, hashtag. Um, no, I mean, I, I think to be Mourinho out at this point is ridiculous because... Well, is... it is, but my, my question is, you know, what, what would his grade be? Because I, I reckon his grade for 2017 is as like a B- minus or a C. I, I know United won the Europa League. Um, and the and, cup. and the and the uh, the EFL Cup um, got a very favorable favorable draw in both. You know, if you want to add any sort of mitigation on that, and, and it's that's very important. But the league is the most important thing to United right now, um, and I'm not sure he's quite taken the team to where we'd expect it. You know, tracking for like 78 or 79 points, something like that. Um, that should get United into the the top four, but he's never won a league ever, right? So the sort of argument that oh, this is an unprecedented city side, well, it is, still wouldn't be good enough. Still wouldn't be good enough. Even even in a kind of granular, more granular way than that, I would say that uh, Ajax in the Champions in the Champions League in the Europa League final, uh, Chelsea at home last season. Can't really think of another game where you would go, yep, Mourinho masterclass here. Right. Like like he used to do all the time. No, no, just every parts game. of us. Yeah, and there's, it's, there's, uh, it's pretty desperate. There's a kind of, I don't know, it's almost like, it's, almost, it's similar to the Van Gaal in a way that I was just reading something about Van Gaal's Ajax and just like shaking my head sadly at this notion of this revolutionary attacking coach who brought the some of the best football Europe's ever seen out of a collection of, you know, homegrown players, basically, with a few expensive imports. You think, God, that that Van Gaal would have done an amazing job at United, you know. But um, there is a sort of similar difference in quality between what you would hope from peak Mourinho to what we're getting now. Um, But I still think there's the possibility that he could build a a really good side given the collection of talent that's there and it's got one more one more transfer window before his original plan gets enacted you know his mm. kind of original three-year plan we'll see yes um all right what i Do would to... say final comment on yeah. on this fix a very long answer to a easy question but <laughs> it is that it seems to me from Mourinho's performance that he is struggling to get more out of the players Right. And there are some examples where you say, oh, he, he really helped that player impr- improve. You know, we said that of Valencia last season. I suppose you could say that of Ashley Young this season. Um, 
uh, a Herrera. He turned him into you know a very good defensive midfielder, not so much this season. How many are there that Just, have actually improved a lot? Jesse Lingard is the one, the one forward player. Yeah, you'd say. Um, and this, you know, he's he's clearly he's a he's a man who wants to work with the elite players, the best of the best, and that is why he's complaining about the amount of money. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like the most like, the reason that he's complaining about the amount of money is because he's not winning. Hmm. <laughs> and and you know, the, the problem for Mourinho isn't Guardiola's City. Like United fans, as a club, maybe maybe the football media would shine a kind of unpleasant spotlight on him because of that. But basically, United fans, if if Mourinho was seven points off City or whatever wasn't able to keep pace with the kind of generational side that they look like they're going to be fair enough but it, that isn't the problem the problem is that united's own performances since anfield have not been consistently good enough that's yeah. that's where the knock against Mourinho comes and the idea that this is i mean I, I think the one idea that i might have some sympathy with him the the one idea is that Guardiola was in a position where he could just cut all the deadwood straight away, basically. Didn't have to even think about it because he knew there was an unlimited pot of money to replace them with. And United are not in that position. Mourinho couldn't sell 10 players over the last year and a half, you know. Um, that, I think, is fair enough. But he, I don't think he's doing as well as you would hope he was doing with the resources he has had. Yeah, and I think both points are, are fair. All right, a whole bunch of questions in a similar category here. We've got um, at Flinchier underscore, and uh, we've got um, uh, at Joey M underscore UX, uh, and we've got uh, at Rich Saville, um, all asking questions about the value of players. So um, uh, how quickly uh, did we believe um, uh, Josie's claim about Pogba looking so cheap uh, would come so true so quickly? Ari Coutinho transfer, Ari Coutinho. Uh, isn't Fellaini now a bargain? Um, what would he <laughs> never, be that worth will never now? be the case. <laughs> blah, blah. There's a few questions in that vein, right? So, I mean, yes, I mean, rampant football inflation. So 27 looks like, uh, it looks like you couldn't buy a third division left back. <laughs> 27 million nowadays but I, I think that they were, I don't know whether they do it anymore there was um a while back uh, a couple of guys were doing a sort of football transfer price index right so trying to put real inflation on football transfer prices uh, to normalize for the impact of vast amounts of money coming into the game from particularly from broadcast but also commercial stuff um and then to normalize across years to try and pull out the real outliers um that was an interesting you know lots of critique about that model um but uh, i think it was called a football transfer price index something like that um but yeah what would fellaini cost now uh you know 50 plus million i guess um, he's going to cost nothing because he's out of contract. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, in this market, maybe. Um, interesting. We had this debate as well, didn't we, a few months ago? Uh, what impact would Neymar have? Was he a total outlier to the market? Had no inflationary impact. Um, well, you know, he's he's had Clearly some inflationary not. impact because um, Barcelona got Dembele and, and Coutinho, and and Liverpool are now spunking that money on Van Dijk and whoever else comes in, and and it'll have some spin-off effect. What's really interesting is how directly his inflationary impacts happened. Because the one thing you could have said is that if Barcelona sold him for 222 million and the market didn't react in an inflationary way, they could have used that 22, 222 million 
to really flex a muscle in the transfer market. But the money they've had to spend on Timbele, who probably will be a brilliant player, but it's obviously a massive gamble to spend that kind of money on a player that young. Um, and Coutinho, who is a good player and will probably be better for Barcelona than he is for Liverpool. But, I mean, the idea that he's the second most valuable transfer in football history is ludicrous Where in terms of where his kind of talent sits. And that's just because clubs could hold Barcelona over a barrel because they knew they had all that money, right? And, yeah, and- yeah. And, and Barcelona are happy making that swap, I guess, and, you know, Dembele plus Coutinho for Neymar. We'll see how that pans out for them. But, I mean, Coutinho might money, be right? the best player of his type um, right now. Of his type, but he's the kind of old-fashioned number 10, isn't he, you know? And there's not too many of them around anymore. I think he scores a few goals and, you know, I mean, 140-odd million seems insane. I know about 35 million of that is add-ons. It does seem a huge amount of money, but they had it. Yeah, and but, I mean, I think I think I remember saying at the time when United bought Pogba for 90 million that there's no way the next summer isn't going to see a transfer that smashes that. Um, but I don't think I thought it'd be more than 200 million next. Um, but the fact that, you know, Van Dijk is 14 million less than Pogba is, in the terms of what a player brings to a, both a team, but also a club. Like, if you look at the the brand value of Paul Pogba versus Virgil van Dijk is not close, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and then, you know, on the pitch, well, on the pitch, what matters is the kind of player you the team needs the most. So, arguably, Liverpool need a central defender more than they need anyone else. But... I, I am far from convinced that Virgil van Dijk is going to single-handedly, I mean, I'm not alone in this, but single-handedly fix Liverpool's defence. Um, no, they've still got that shocker of a keeper behind him. Um, are players be- being given contract extensions solely to drive up their market value? I mean, this is uh, Blint, Mata, Herrera, someone else. I'm sure they already executed on. Um, Flaney doesn't have an extra year. Oh, you're, is, they already is, executed on that, yeah, so he's it. out of contract. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, it's protecting the asset. Um, so let's assume that Blink gets sold in the summer. Herrera, you know. Mm, I think uh, he'll stay. I, I, yeah. I, I Matt, I'd stay. expect to stay, but, you know, there's always there's always uh, talk of him going. It depends on what United bring in in the summer. And sure, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, So, yeah, just that's at Crank and Dragon, by the way, you asked that question. Um, And then final set of questions, and they all follow a similar theme. Uh, At Dom McDowell, are you a lot busier now? You have have to collate the rank cast questions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) At Charbacco, that's with three Cs. Uh, Can Uh, Paul come back? I miss him. Big friend of the show. Uh, and and the best question of the lot, uh, Atishé, at Atishé underscore J, how can you leave us alone with Ed? (laughs) sorry everyone um yeah it's just it is a um it's a a a major major quality of life improvement for me so um the one bit i will miss is regularly interacting with rankcast listeners but you can get me at paul at unitedrant.co.uk um if you want to send me an email and i'll definitely reply to that um but yeah I'm, i'm i'm off twitter for the very foreseeable future could be 
Uh, I think you could have done it different ways. You could have just made your account private and blocked. You know what I do? Block, mute, block, block, mute, mute, mute. uh, I don't don't want to expend the mental energy that's involved in, like, receiving the blow and then having to deal with it. I would rather just not receive the blow. We're very different, me and you, Ed. We have a very different relationship with other people in general. So it's like it's it's just not for me anymore. I've done it for a long time, and there's definitely there's definitely people that I will miss. So if you are one of those people that that we're regularly in contact, please do feel free to email me. Um, I'd be more than pleased to hear from the the good people out there. Talking of emails, we had a really um, amazing email which I um, just wanted to uh, just send a, a little bit of shout out and a, a massive amount of um, rank cast love to to Darren who sent us um, sent us a lovely email and, and we're definitely thinking of you and rooting for you and yours um, and we also had we had a, an idea for a whole episode of the podcast which I think we just have a, a little bit of a chat about um, just uh, from from Keith who uh, emailed in asking about. Um, asking us to shine some light on the press room. So I'm now done with going to United as press. The the West Brom game was my last one. Uh, so I can talk freely without fear of offending people. Um, he, he sort of says... Um, who are the reporters and, and who do they work for and what's their history or possible motivations? Those are the questions that Keith asks. And I would just say, you know, um, most of the people in that room are not United fans, obviously. Uh, There are a handful of people like Jim White and Andy Mitten who cover the club, but are also kind of historical supporters of the club. Um, And a lot of the Manchester Evening News people that cover United tend to be the United fans and the City fans tend to cover City, but not exclusively. Um, And, uh, you know, as for motivation, it depends a little bit on the kinds of sites that the kinds of places that people work for, because there's there's people that work for the internet. I mean, gold.com have a lovely United correspondent, a Sheffield Wednesday fan called Chris Vokes. Um, it's well worth a follow on Twitter if you don't already. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the newspaper journalists... I think, broadly speaking, the motivation of the pre- them in the press conference is getting juicy quotes out of Mourinho that they can spin clicks and paper sales out of, really. I don't think there's any motivation to properly understand the game better or really get to the heart of what goes on. I think all that stuff happens away from the press conferences behind the scenes off the record, right? Uh, yes. Um, don't know whether you've been following American politics in the last few days. Nope. The, the challenges of, the, lovely... of uh, the challenges of being on and off the record, uh, according to the Trump administration, <laughs> quite amusing. This is, been this is that one book. of the lovely things about not being on Twitter is not having to follow the nonsense of the Trump administration. Uh, one day, someone will write a book about Mourinho behind the scenes. Uh, maybe it'll be Antonio Conte. Um, <laughs> he'll uh, he'll write it while he's getting his latest hair transplant. <laughs> So um, I, that's that's it for Twitter questions. What have we got? We got right. Stoke coming up. Ah, oh, pull one out for Sparky, your boy Sparky. Of course, they were going to fire him before he got. They're hoping for a bump with a new manager. <laughs> um, uh, Tony Pulis is available, isn't he? I mean. I- why this isn't the thing that's happening, how glorious would it be if we had a... And they just get Rory Delap to come and be his assistant manager. Like, it would be perfect, but it's not going to happen, is it? You can't put Pulis inside of, in charge of this Stoke with all their little tippy. The only player yeah. that... Would Actually, he's not. Keep. He took the... Didn't he take the Middlesbrough job? My, my um, bad. Yeah, yeah, they should have yeah, done it a while back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, the, he did. 
let's have a look. Who's who are the favourites for the job for the Stoke job? Uh, oh, I've got to click on a gallery to see fourteen to one. Uh, Ronald Koeman, 10 to 1 Gary Rowett, that'd be quite a progressive appointment. 10 to 1 Slaven Bilic, I mean, what kind of madness would that be? I talk Karanka, well, if they want to bring back players being, re- fans being really bored at the Potteries, they could go with that. Ryan Giggs is 5 to 1 with Martin O'Neill, the 6 to 4 favourite, apparently. Uh, I mean, that'd be amazing if Ryan Giggs got the job and his first game was managing at Old Trafford, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, special, yes, it would be special. Um, they're going to win mean, Old Trafford, aren't they? It's inevitable now. Of all the of all the teams that Ryan Giggs has been linked with, in a way, and and a very specific way, whereby it does not pass the threshold to be a good idea, but in a way, this collection of kind of talented, slightly flaky players who are brilliant on their day but have extended patches of slightly questionable form. I mean, Sorry, wouldn't Ryan Giggs be able Arsenal? to relate? Like, you know. Yeah, um, perhaps, yeah. I, I think um, Ryan Giggs will never get a job in football. It's clear now. Word's gone around. Yeah, about what? I don't know. Just the word. Right. Uh, uh, and and also he may need to set his expectations a little lower. Yeah. But wouldn't it be hilarious if he got the Stoke job? How they went from one Welsh Manchester United legend to another Welsh Manchester United legend. Oh, steady on. Manchester United legend, former city manager. You telling me, you are telling me that you're demoting Mark Hughes... From Manchester no, United not. legend status. I, I, I'm, I'm not. We can uh, we can compartmentalise his exactly. great playing career. His yeah. absolutely shitty managerial career. <laughs> he had he did that good job at Wales and an okay job at Blackburn, right? That's that's. Mm. Yeah, I, so we, we, I guess we should actually talk about the game. What's Mourinho going to do? He's, he's like he, he won't take the four three three. He's played the last two games. They're just it's just not Mourinho. He's probably going to play three at the back or something like that. No, I reckon he'll. I just reckon he'll do it again. It doesn't tend to change a winning formula, really. And and everyone's going to have had a break. Nemanja Matic will have had like they as soon as that game had finished. Uh, players on social media, on Instagram, started and Snapchat started putting up pictures of themselves on holiday. And I think there's some warm weather training as well. Going to be they're going to go to Dubai in between now and then. So you'd imagine the squad will be pretty fresh, pretty relaxed. Um, and I think I think he might play. Well, it won't be the same side that played Everton, obviously, because uh, Lukaku will play up front. Um, but with Martial on the left, Mata on the right, maybe. I think that's plausible. Uh, it's certainly plausible. Um, playing on the Monday night. Uh, yeah. So by that time, United will be back to eighteen points behind City. <laughs> yeah, but... I, that doesn't. Yeah, I shouldn't even look at City now. That Chelsea uh, and Liverpool and Spurs. Are the concern? Yeah, uh, looking over our shoulder a little bit at the moment uh, because um, you know, per the per the long diatribe I gave earlier about stats in which everyone fell asleep, um, United have no guarantees here that they're making the top four. No, but they only have to have a better second half of the season than one of those sides. That's true. Um, to make the top four, the the key is can they? can they build some genuine momentum and position themselves as realistic challengers for City next season? 
you know that that because I think at the beginning of the season we talked about we were asked a lot about what the realistic expectations are and I think we basically said a trophy and a genuine title challenge but the trophy in, in fact really just a genuine title challenge um, and obviously that's not going to be what happens now so and we're out of the League Cup we're, I mean if we win the Champions League it will be you know a Chelsea 2012 esque fluke in terms of relative quality of sides. Um, so it, it's can we look impressive between now and the beginning of next season to the end of this season to generate some momentum and some hope and build some optimism around Mourinho and the project, you know, because at the moment, if it carries on like this for the rest of the season, very sort of uppy downy, poor performances against all the big teams, the odd slip up against little teams, next summer's going to be very sort of pressurised and tetchy and Mourinho is not good in those circumstances. No, he's not. So uh, basically what you're saying is he gets fired around November or December 2018. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Um, that is a joke. But yeah, no, I think there's uh, there's plenty of scenarios that don't look good here. It's really hard to build momentum if you're not chasing something, though, isn't it? You know, how, I, I do I do kind of, I know it's his job to motivate, but um, if if the goal is just to chase qualification, I mean, look at Arsenal over the years. It's, it doesn't do a great deal for the players, does it? Uh, I think chasing a, a cup would help as well, but it's not going to be the Champions League. Sevilla are not the team they once were. Um, so, you know, you'd make United marginal favourites there, but it could get a big team in the quarters. Um, and um, and the the league is a tough one. And, and the FA Cup, a bit of a crapshoot, you know, could pull City out of the hat in the next round. Yeah, and we could beat them, but also not. You know, it's you can't really bank. And the, the key point about the FA Cup, really, is that, of course, it would be lovely to win it again. That'd be amazing. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Not really, really. Not now. It, it It's important for kind of momentum and for the team to kind of continue this thing of, you know, that'd be three seasons in a row that they've won a cup competition. And that, that is something winning breeds winning, you know, so, so it matters in that sense. But, but if the league form really falters between now and the end of the season, winning the FA cup doesn't make a difference either way, does it? Yeah. So what, what happens if United finished fifth and won the FA cup? Does Mourinho get sacked? While does he get the Van, the, Hull, the Van Hal treatment? I mean, you, I think a lot of it will a lot of it will depend on how he handles things, you know what his relationships like with the players, how's his relationship with the board, these kinds of things. Because Van Hal, mm. I think, dug himself into a bit of a corner in and a where way. Where there's an out to Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know you said earlier that you were joking about him getting sacked in November or December 2018, and I'm not saying I think that's what's going to happen, but it's very clearly one of the you know if you look at the different future tracks that could the train could ride on that is definitely one of the stations on it isn't it you know it's uh it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination Mourinho denied stories that he was uh, looking to get out and quite vociferously actually in his press conference and and said he was looking to stay there for a long time and there are stories and counter stories you know obviously people his people um leak certain stories in order to put pressure on United um, and uh, you know if I if I was a club right now I'd be biding my time not rushing into giving him another five-year contract at a hefty pay rise because uh, that has never worked well for anyone who's done that in the past ever the, I um, had a rumor somebody told me they'd seen a rumor on Twitter I don't know if it came from a reliable source or not that United had been sounding out Carlo Ancelotti which my goodness wouldn't that be a sign of 
like just an awfully depressing sign of United's kind of lack of breadth of vision to just go there is no vision there's some vision on the commercial level which is we'll take any sponsor who comes to us anywhere whatever they are basically um and uh and at the football level there's no vision there's no consistency there's no plan um, they are. They've made some backroom changes in terms of the academy. It needs to be modernised. They've got a director in there. They're looking for a technical director who wouldn't be a director of football. Um, so they work. But you know, in terms of the first team and consistency, if you're going to go on this mill where you change a manager every three years or two years or seven months, depending on bad how bad they are, <laughs> then you need some kind of yeah, like complete outlier. United are in terms of this model this structure. No one else in European football does it. And the only reason to do it is that you can be more streamlined and act quicker. Um, and you you give power to the manager to say yay or nay on every transfer so that all Mourinho's, including all the ones that don't work. Um, and But, you know, if the big dunk is right and there's too much bureaucracy and it's really slow moving, even that's not working for the club. Yeah, it's... Uh... The the long term future is, I mean, I think it's quite hard to be super optimistic. I, I I almost feel like we needed to have won the league by now, or at least look like we were going to win the league by now, in order to really. You, you wonder whether it will be us that's the next big challenger to City. You wonder whether I'm not saying I it definitely won't be, but you know the financial landscape will change. Because United's big financial weapon is their popularity. And that won't go away in the way that Liverpool's hasn't gone away. Um, But it will wane. It will change. And new pretenders to the international market will emerge. Like if Tottenham, say, say Tottenham move into their new stadium, say they have a really good season, maybe win the league. You know, you're looking at a generation where there'll there'll be random Tottenham fans around the world, you know, to a different extent. And and United is so embedded in in global culture that it'll take a while to shift. But mm. they're, they're... Well, um, Liverpool haven't won the, the league for 25 years and they still uh, do very well in the global sponsorship market, as yeah. Edward Wood was very keen to point out in one of <laughs> yes. his quarterly financial calls last year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, And I think that's a calculation, right? There, there are diminishing returns in the transfer market. Um, when you've got the money City have got, that doesn't matter. You can just keep spending. With United, they're making the calculation, do we spend £100 million a year, 130 or whatever it is over the last uh, three years or so, average, um, uh, in order to make sure we get in and around the top four and maintain our sponsorship agreements and still have that global presence? Uh, do we double that and chase a title? And, and, and the Glazer family are not going to double it. And this is going to become a massive problem. Because 130 million is nothing now. Like it's less than one Philip Coutinho. <laughs> like this is this has become a. I mean, we have seen in the last few years the purse strings have got wildly looser than they were in in the years before that. And there was the Di Maria signing for an enormous amount of money. Pogba signed for an enormous amount of money. I'm talking at the time, but even the Lukaku transfer. When when that went through at the beginning of last summer, that looked like a very pricey deal, you know. Um, so there have been, and Martial was a big bet. You know, there's been big bets. Um, we'll see what happens next summer, and and it could 
it could be that actually no, they will they will adapt to the new reality of it and spend at the level that they have to spend to kind of compete. But nothing is guaranteed. So this is going to be a, it's going to be a very interesting few years for United, I think. Yeah, uh, interesting is the word. Um, United versus Stoke um, uh, may or may not be interesting. Uh, what, what's the score going to be? I don't know. I think I think we'll play a really strong it's Old team. Trafford. So. Yeah, so Old Trafford will play a really strong team because we don't have a, a game after it until um, until the the following Saturday, and that's away at Burnley. So I, I think. I mean, unless some miracle happens and Stoker completely like inspired by Ryan Giggs, um, I think that it's going to be. I'm going to go crazy and say three nil to United. Wow, not sure I see a three nil in here. They'll get a little bit of a bump. It depends if they got a manager in play or not. Hmm. Okay, two one to United. Wow. Oh my goodness. I hope that's not the case. It's going to be tough watch if it is. But anyway. Uh, right, thank you for listening. Sorry, we missed all the Christmas stuff. I just, I literally couldn't talk, so it was there was no option. Um, but I've got a voice again now, and uh, I'm not afraid to use it. So we'll be back after the Stoke game and uh, do another one of these. Sound good? Uh, certainly does. And uh, you can catch um, me on Twitter <laughs> at United Rant and Paul Not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, but you, you can send me, me messages but... on Facebook. You can email me. You can't send me messages on Facebook unless we're already Facebook friends. But um, you can email me. That's absolutely, that would be lovely. Please feel free to email me, paul at unitedrant.co.uk. Enjoy. Uh, See you next week. See you next week. The Rantcast is produced by Tom Jenkins and supported by listeners like you. Head to patreon.com slash rantcast to find out more.